King James Version says, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Or a more literal translation might say, revive me in your word. And that means a lot to me tonight, and I'm going to tell you why. There, there are so many things happening all around us, uh, nationally, in a world uh, stage. Uh, you can look at the storms, you can look at any number of things, and they all vie for our attention. They all cause us to, to want to cast our eyes on things that are worth less than the things of God. They want us to get caught up in ideas and, and movements and things that are worth less than the eternal. They want us to, um, to have our attention focused on things that are worth less than our walk with God. And I don't want that to happen in my life. I want to stay focused on what is true. Upon this rock I will build my church, the Bible says, Jesus said. And so I don't want anything to cause me to look away or to cause me to become so caught up in in current events that I forget the big picture, I guess is what I'm saying. And to the extent that these events mark the soon return of Jesus Christ, we do need to be informed. We do need to know what is going on. We need to, to gauge the signs and understand the times in which we live, but never to the expense of being distracted. And so the psalmist then gives us the remedy for, for this and tells us what we need to do. He says, revive me in your word. We have to return to the Word and let, let the Word of God illuminate our soul and let it bring to life our spirit, let it ignite our imagination once again. I, I love what he says in another verse in Psalms. He says, the commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. So if worthless things can distract our eyes, then the Word of God can enlighten our eyes. And so the Word of God is our, is our remedy tonight. And that's exactly what we've come to do tonight, isn't it? We've come to study the Word of God. We've come to let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So as pastor comes to break the bread of life tonight, would you just clap your hands one more time to Jesus and thank him for his blessings tonight. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave, and good to see everybody here tonight. And uh, thank you so very much for coming. And uh, glad to see you. And uh, thank you for uh, making the effort, taking the time to be in Bible study tonight and uh, considering what's going on all around the campus. Uh, it looks good in here tonight. And uh, very excited about that. Uh, great to see you. Great time this past Sunday. Great, great time this past Sunday. And I'm thankful for the amazing and great things that God is doing at Grace Church. And I'm glad again to be back on campus and uh, to see all of you back on campus. Feels good seeing you folks here tonight. And uh, it's very comforting and assuring. And uh, I believe more and more with every passing service, Grace is kind of getting its feet back underneath it and uh, getting back to the way things used to be, uh, at least to some extent. And we hope we don't quite go back to the way it used to be. We just hope it goes back to being better. And uh, that's what we're after. That's what we're pursuing. I have a, a Bible study, obviously, that uh, I want to share with you tonight. But before I begin, <clears throat> some of you have, have already uh, beat me to the draw on uh, at least a, a part of this. Um, and that is uh, opening up your homes uh, for fellowship and what have you. Uh, I suppose what started it, <clears throat> to some degree, 
is uh, on Friday nights, Brother Dave organized uh, having our junior high students uh, come up here every Friday night, every Friday night. And it has been a blockbuster event, if you will. And uh, uh, averaging 25, 30 kids up here and a lot of guests. Uh, people are bringing their, their children that are not a part of Grace Church, bringing them every Friday night. And uh, I'm excited about that. But, the, but seeing them here with the spirit they bring with them has just been absolutely tremendous. Uh, it'd probably do some of us older folks some good to come up here and get right up in the middle of it and let them bump into you and run over you and that kind of thing and uh, throw a ball at you in hopes that you might catch it, uh, what have you. And, uh, but it's been tremendous up here on Friday nights, and uh, it's gone very well. And um, I understand that there's some pretty cool things being planned for this coming Friday night. And, uh, but that's where it started, and uh, I think some have reached a, a comfort level and have opened their home. The, uh, I'll say the Brian Tier family uh, opened their home, I believe it was last Friday night, um, just to have kind of a, a youth fall fest thing at their house with a, a giant bonfire, and I don't know how many kids was there. They were everywhere. It just looked like somebody opened the gate with a bunch of kids that had been kept in a barn or something and just let them out. But uh, it was amazing. They did a wonderful, wonderful job hosting. Uh, other parents uh, chipped in and helped set everything up, helped clean everything up. And uh, that was a, an amazing, amazing event. Uh, and then there's been two or three other families that have opened their homes to other church families They've invited their guests and what have you. So this, what I'm just saying and presenting here tonight is becoming, is a part of the content of what I want to teach tonight, but I want to mention this on the outset um, for, for, for something more applicable uh, to the folks, to at least some of the folks that are in this room tonight. I did talk to Brother Tom this past Sunday, and he's going to be organizing an Overcomers event. And... Uh, I think a good idea, have you seen those big giant plastic bubbles that kind of inflate with air and you just get in it and you can walk around the thing and you bump into each other? I thought that'd be an interesting activity. You'd be social distancing, you'd be in a bubble, and then you can have fun with it at the same time. I will not wear one of those, but I will have my video camera handy when you do. And uh, that, would, that would be something to see. But anyway, he is, uh, will be organizing something perhaps even for next month, and we'll certainly, certainly look forward to that. So that's kind of a direction of, of restoring fellowship, uh, restoring friendship, restoring camaraderie, and what have you. Um, that's kind of the direction that we'll be going in tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about being a part of God's family. Uh, this whole quarantine thing that, that we're coming out of a little at a time, a little at a time, more and more, I think it's all helped us realize the worth of fellowship. Uh, you don't really appreciate something, as the old saying goes, until it's gone. And uh, we've, we've lived very lonely lives for the past number of months, and it just feels good. There's even folks you can tolerate just a little bit longer now, can't you, because you hadn't been around them in such a long time. And uh, I'm teasing. 
Let's get into our Bible study tonight before I start meddling too much. <clears throat> Many of you are familiar with a classic old tale entitled Cheaper by the Dozen about the family exploits of a Frank and Lillian Gilbreth back around the turn of the 20th century. Two of the 12 kids wrote the book and they dedicated it as follows. To dad who only reared 12 children and to mother who reared 12 only children. No doubt each of these 12 kids who are Anne, Mary, Ernestine, Martha, Frank, Bill, Lil, Fred, Dan, Jack, Bob, Jane. You know, when I read this list of names, when they named like the first six, you kind of run out of the interesting names, so you just do Fred, Dan, Jack, Bob, and Jane. Just get it over with. But uh, these kids were special. They were unique and important to these very talented and very sleep-deprived parents. These two newlyweds, Frank and Lillian, were on a train heading out of Oakland on their wedding day, holding hands. They began to talk about their family. And Frank says, Lily, we're going to have a wonderful life and a wonderful family, a great big family. And she agreed. We'll have children all over the house, from the basement to the attic. And so as they rode into this new life, they agreed to have 12 kids. You'll see in the picture there's only 11. One passed away at six years old. So when they agreed to have 12 kids, he took out a piece of paper and wrote on it, don't forget to have six boys and six girls. And over the next 17 years, that's exactly what they did. So I'll ask you tonight, why have parents here in our own church family gone ahead and deliberately had babies? For what purpose do we create someone in our image? Why do we go through the hassle and expense of growing our families? We've discovered Wednesday night before last that God put us in this world for the purpose of him loving us and having us love him. We call that worship. We were planned for God's pleasure. Now here's God's second purpose. We are formed to be a unique part of his family. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, the Bible said, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom all are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. One translation said it this way, God is the one who made all things and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children to share his glory. The scientific principle uh, is called the anthropic principle. It points to the design of the universe, all of the intricate evidence that everything around us is carefully calibrated and designed to support human life to make it possible for God to have a family here on this planet. The earth is the only planet that we know of that God did this. You'll notice the adoption motive 
or theme found in the Bible, especially in the book of Ephesians. You'll notice his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. Actually, think about it. The entire Bible is the story of God building and restoring a family. And not just one that's here for a while and then breaks apart. You and I, you and I are in his mind as a part of an eternal group, a forever family. So there's something that I know and there's something that you know. I've watched some of you folks work at building the family, meaning your own. I've seen you with diaper bags and car seats, and I've seen you babysitting. I've watched as you administer discipline. I've been there when you taught your kids to pray and sing and listen to stories about Jesus. I've seen you spend time and money and energy on making your family strong and healthy. It takes more than just being in default mode or just enjoying a romantic night and then having a free baby come down the chimney nine months later. Building a good family is work. It's always been work. It always will be work. God's first purpose for putting us here is to give Him something to love. His second purpose for having created us here is to be his family. We need to focus on being his, in his family and we need to work on it. So first of all, it says, as it says in 1 Peter 2.17, to love your spiritual family. This is part of our purpose. It's part of our purpose to love our spiritual family, to love this family that we call the body of Christ. I believe God means the Christian church in general. I believe he's talking about the apostolic church. And I also believe he's talking about Grace Church. He's talking about this church. It's God's purpose for this place to be a strong, healthy family and for us to do the necessary work to make it that way. I say this kindly. But if you're not doing your fair share of the work, it's kind of time to get your act together. There's several reasons why we need to do the work necessary to develop love for this family. First of all, God is love, and it makes us more like Him. Secondly, God simply wants His family to get along. Now, I remember when I was a child, some of the friction that existed in my family, being the youngest of seven, I could elaborate for a long time on that point, but we'll keep moving. But have you ever been told by one of your parents, when it comes to your sibling, now you hug each other and tell each other I'm sorry? I can say this, saying I'm sorry to avoid a spanking is a facade. It's false repentance. But in this case, false repentance is better than none. I have sometimes said sorry with the veins in my neck standing out, my fist still clenched, 
and I would give my sibling a look which plainly indicated hypocrisy, that I was not sorry, and that the battle would be resumed as soon as our mother left the room. But this is what God desires from us, a true love for each other. In heaven, we're going to love God forever. And in heaven, we're going to love our neighbor forever. So right here, right now, in this place, under these human circumstances, we're supposed to practice loving each other, forgiving each other, working out our differences. I suppose it is healthy sometimes that there are some disagreements because then we can practice loving one another and learning the, the, the spiritual maturity of give and take and treating each other as family. What exactly is the nature of fellowship which God intends for us to experience here? The word worship is often relegated to a very narrow idea, sometimes that of just music. And at the same, and the same thing happens here. We have, we have our times of fellowship where we, we, talk about our, we talk about politics, we talk about the weather, we talk about our favorite brand of car, our favorite brand of a, of a computer. We talk about why couldn't our favorite sports team win last week. Is this really fellowship? Well, maybe or not really. Maybe it's just called the proverbial chewing the fat. But what is fellowship? The Bible gives us a loftier definition in 1 John 4.21. The Bible said in this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God, love his brother also. One translation said it this way, the person who loves God must also love other believers. So let's put the, the high bar up here and say that fellowship is our choosing to love God's family. Fellowship is us choosing to love God's family. Now this can all be rather vague and delicate, so let's try to proceed biblically here and make it as practical as we can. The Apostle Paul helps us with a verse in his first letter to Timothy. He said, I'm writing so that you'll know how to live and the family of God, that family, he said, is the church. So what is the church? It's clearly not a building because we don't own it. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's a family. The moment God and God's people called me to minister at this place some 27 plus years ago, I came into a new family. And it has grown tremendously since that time. I want us to consider tonight four levels of functioning and belonging. Four levels of function and belonging. The first is membership. It's choosing to belong. Most everyone here tonight is a member of Grace Church. This is something that all churches struggle with. Apostolic churches are no different. People move, they transfer, they stay for a while. Some even church hop. 
There was a joke in the Baptist denomination years ago where some statistician said, according to our membership records, there are more Baptists than there are people. I'm kind of leaning in that direction with uh, the apostolic people. But I want to encourage you today to be as proactive as you can about being a part of this church right here, right now. We are stronger when we make a commitment to a spiritual body. And everybody say amen. It does take an emotional and spiritual promise to a body of believers, to a group, saying to this church community, I am here, I am with you, I'm part of this I'm not just stopping by to see what's going on and to visit my friends. I'm becoming a part of this family. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul said, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. I want you to know from pastor today, I want you to know that I love all of you and I want everyone here to feel like you belong at Grace Church. You belong to Grace Church. I hear from lonely people who are feeling very discouraged. And I say to them, wouldn't you like to be at a place where many people will love you, will pray for you, will say hello to you, will call you when you're sick or missing, where many people will consider you family. We end up in our physical families by default. We end up in our nuclear families by default, but we, we have to enter into a God's family by choice. We have to raise our hand. We have to step up to the plate. I suppose you would expect this part of this part of this Bible study from me because I am pastor but I believe this even before I put on the proverbial clerical collar there's really no such thing in my view as Christianity apart from the church there's no such thing as Christianity apart from the church someone wrote one time and I want you to let this sink in let everybody sink I want it to sink in Someone wrote one time, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I just don't think you can be an effective disciple of Jesus without being in the church. I've known many people through the years, pre-ministry and since going into ministry, that's tried it. And I've never known anyone to be a success at solitary religion religion I've seen people claim they were doing it but the evidence was very meager and I say all of this kindly but bear in mind this the Christian church the church is the bride of Christ it's Jesus most beloved thing when we absent ourselves permanently from the church we're essentially trying to say to Jesus, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. 
Think of it kind of like this, trying to be a football player with no team, a tuba player with no band, a bee without a hive, a soldier with no platoon. You can sum it up this way, a Christian without a church family is an orphan. God meant for us to be a part of a family. The Reader's Digest shared this insightful bit of humor a number of years ago. Walking through the jungle, a hunter found a dead, ferocious-looking rhinoceros with a pygmy, a long pygmy, standing proudly beside it. Amazed, the hunter said, Did you kill that rhino? Why, yes, the pygmy, the pygmy said back. He said, How could you, a little fellow, a little fellow like you, kill a beast like that? He said, I killed it with my club. The astonished hunter exclaimed, Wow, how big is your club? The pygmy replied, There's about 90 of us. So you see, there, there is power in this family, in this church body that cannot be matched at your home by yourself. <clears throat> I want to share with you some scriptural things about why it is so important that we are a part of the family. I understand there's about 58 one another commandments in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you're in fellowship with other Christian people. You cannot obey these unless you're in fellowship with the church. Galatians 5.13 commands us to serve one another. Romans 15.7 says to accept one another. Colossians 3.13 says to forgive one another. Romans 16.16 16 says to greet one another. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens. Romans 12.10 said be devoted to one another. And honor one another. Romans 15, 14 says to teach one another. Ephesians 5, 21 says to submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says to encourage one another. Again, this is only a few of at least 58 one another commandments that are given in the scripture. In his book, The Body, Chuck Colson writes this following the pattern made normative in the book of Acts. Each believer is to make his or her confession and repentance, being baptized and so on, and become a part of a local congregation with all of the accountability that implies. So membership in a church particular is no more optional than membership in the church universal. He went on to say, unfortunately, it is not uncommon for Christians to drift from congregation to congregation usually where their friends lead them or where the pastor happens to give the most satisfying message. Many have no sense of roots or responsibility and some never join a local church. So I believe tonight one reason why it's important to be a joiner, to be a member, is because the church meets our needs and we meet the needs of each other. Romans 12, 5 states in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. As you will readily agree tonight, a liver and a kidney and a heart and lungs need to stay in one body. They don't function well by themselves outside the body. As a matter of fact, they don't function at all.
but they help to build up that body. It's kind of like a baseball team. The biggest success has come when the same guys are out there on the field day by day. And what our church honestly needs today is a strong group of people, men and women, who are consistent pillars here, present week by week, building up this body right here. By the way, just as there are weddings where a person joins a new family in a public way, this family here has the same thing. So the first level of fellowship is membership. It's choosing to belong. The second thing that I want to talk to you tonight about, and I'll mention three things under this heading, is friendship and caring, or friendship and sharing. Clear back in Eden, families were made for sharing. Bob Hope grew up in a family with a lot of brothers. He once said, we handed down pants until the seat was so threadbare, I could sit down on a dime and tell you if it was heads or tails. I've been pretty close to that myself, being the youngest of seven. I read a line by comedian Bernie Mac who talks about sharing this away. He said, there were 13 kids in my family. We were so poor, we had to eat cereal with a fork so we could pass the milk to the next kid. <laughs> Heard a lot of things about being poor, but that's poor right there, buddy. Go easy on the milk. Acts 2.44 describes the New Testament church. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. Some wonderful things happen when we meet with each other and share. Some of you here tonight have friendships that go back 20 and 25 years and perhaps even more. One thing that, that's true is this. The friendships and the sharing will be as good as we make them to be. We all know how to make friends and keep them. We either invest the time or we go home to ourselves and perhaps just watch television. But this church right here can be as rich in sharing and friendships as we decide to make it. So let me mention again three things under this heading we should share with each other. I'll go, I'm going to go ahead and make it four. The first one, if you own a vacation home in Maui, I think you should share that home with those of us that doesn't have one. But moving on beyond the material bribes here, what else is there to share? We can share our experiences. Donald Rumsfeld, our nation's former Secretary of Defense, was quoted several years ago as saying, don't make the same old mistakes the last team in Washington made. Try to make new mistakes. And while we could have fun with that, it's true. We could share with each other and learn from past mistakes. And I appreciate sitting in meetings and hearing someone else's new and heretofore unthought of opinion. And it saves us from doing something foolish or destructive. I want to say here in passing, I have wished a thousand times that there was another pastor on this planet that had guided a church through a pandemic such as the one with hopefully we're coming out of to at least to some degree. But unfortunately, there's been none. And looking back in retrospect, I think we've made some mistakes. 
But at the time, we did the best we knew to do with what we had at the time. Nobody's perfect, but if it ever happens again, and I hope, I pray to God it doesn't, but if it does, maybe we can navigate a little more precisely, a little more securely, and with a little more comfort. I heard of a guy once whose boss put on his job evaluation form, this person never makes the same mistakes twice, but I think he's made all of them once by now. It's kind of how I feel. But as a collective body sharing its collective wisdom, the church can keep from making unwise choices. On a personal level, as we are friends with each other, the same is true. We teach and instruct and encourage each other. The Bible said in Proverbs 27, I've heard Brother Dave say this over and over, people learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron. So we can share our experiences. Number two, and this is what I was talking about at the very beginning, we share our homes. What we have here in, from 11 to 12.30 on Sunday isn't really the kind of fellowship I'm talking about. It's worship, it's family, but it's not the kind of fellowship that I'm talking about. We get into some fellowship sometimes when we're eating at the Alexander Center and we have some out in the lobby until 10.59 and we promptly come in and sit down so we, at least some of us come in and sit down so we won't be late. But true fellowship happens in smaller groups. True fellowship happens in smaller groups. I was invited, I've said in jest over and over and I think people are finally starting to hear it. When our church was in Baker with 40 people, everything that went on, Pastor and Sister Murph was invited to. But something happened, man. When you cross 100, 150, even 200, you're invited to nothing. Oh, we don't need him here no more. That's just another mouth to feed right there. And as much as he eats, we could save $40 on this event if he didn't come. But I have learned when I am invited, they serve the cheap stuff. It costs less when Pastor's there, right? But this past Saturday night, I was invited uh, to someone's home. There might have been, I don't know, 10, 15 people there, adult people. Again, lots of kids. Uh, but adult people. And just sat outside around the fire and just had great conversation. Great fellowship. The, the hearts of those that were there were merry. They were positive. They were upbeat. It was encouraging. I felt amazing when I left. Over the past month, month and a half, I've had the opportunity to be in a number of our church families' homes. And I can promise you the environment is different than when I was there pre-COVID. It's like people have an appreciation for friendship and fellowship and encouragement. And when you share your home, it's, it's just something awesome to have church people in your home as long as they don't bring their kids and tear everything up. But other than that, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. That's kind of an inside joke. The person's getting it back there. I can see their face. But actually, the Bible teaches us in First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, to open your homes to each other. Someone told me just recently, said that um, uh, we, had a, we, 
we, we had y'all over for dinner, six or eight people there, maybe ten people. And uh, that was so much fun. And we've been to these other people's houses, so much fun. We're going to open our, our home again. And they promised to invite Sister Murphy and I. And they don't serve the cheap stuff. They, they do the nice stuff. I've enjoyed chats here among our church family where we've had our fair share of discussion after dinner. But I've also had the holy joy of experiencing discussions, heartfelt, honest, no holes, no holes barred talks. That was pure fellowship. I remember sitting in someone's living room recently and listened to the man open his heart. He's here tonight. I'm not going to call his name, but he opened his heart for probably a good 45 minutes. I heard things I'd never heard before. I heard feelings from deep down on the inside that were so positive and so encouraging. I heard him talk very burdened about lost family members, and maybe there's a little encouragement here and a little encouragement there, and it looks like so-and-so might be turning back a little bit towards God and has a little more interest with God and what have you. When you leave these moments, compare that moment to those moments sitting in your living room and your spouse on the other side of the house and you've not said anything to each other for the past hour, and you're watching Fox News wanting to go drive your head into a wall somewhere, uh, imagine being with somebody of like precious faith and sharing the great things of God. I'm not exaggerating the stories I've, I've mentioned here tonight. I'm not, I'm, 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 not over, I'm not embellishing them. These things happen, and it happened, at least from my perspective, exactly as I've said. I've sat with our men on many occasions who talked about their dreams for this church. They wanted to thrive and to be strong. They're eager for its success. I want to be a part of something that is vision-driven, they say, they say. Something that's powerful, something they can invite their friends and family to with, that, with confidence. I mean, they, when these things happened, they took the words right out of my mouth. I just sat there listening to them thinking this is the coolest thing I've ever been in. It was opening up to... It was opening up the heart and talking about big and important stuff. You know one of the great culprits for our, cocoon, our cocooning and hiding ourselves away? Television is a big one. Internet's a big one. But there's another enemy. It's the automatic garage door opener. We drive into our cul-de-sac and flip the door up. We wheel the car in, we hit the button, and we're in our fortress. We don't have time to connect with our neighbors. We don't have, we don't have time to give that five minutes of our leisure. We, we just don't have time. I look back with shame at the times I've had, I've kind of maneuvered to keep my, my privacy, to avoid an entangling conversation. There is a person in our neighborhood. If you are outside you're, and see this person, I promise you, you will be there for one hour. Unless you very rudely just talk, walk away while they continue to talk and repeat the same thing over and over and over. I am ashamed when I hurry in, when I see this person outside. I'm not the only guilty one of that here tonight. There's someone else in my house that does the same thing, and there's neighbors all up and down the street that does the same thing. You can have 100 people outside in the street, and this person walks outside their house, and they'll go back inside the house. I mean, it's like the rapture took place. 
I'm going to encourage you tonight as you feel comfortable to do so to consider reopening your home even if it's just with another couple even if it's just with one person to invite them into your home and spend some time to fellowship you may not need the encouragement but they may the other part of this and I've got to hurry I've, I've got a ways to go here but you can also, in this environment, share problems and concerns. And I have found with a lot of Grace Church people that this has never been an issue. Especially when they see pastor coming. Oh, here he comes. Here is a great opportunity. I just took a spoonful of Pepto-Bismol and I'm going to regurgitate everything on my inside all over him when he walks up. So we don't have problems, any, any worries about sharing problems and concerns. I hear about doctor's appointments and everything that happens at that doctor's appointment everything I think even a few things that didn't happen were just kind of thrown in there for the you know make the story a little more you know and I'm walking away and telling Sister Murphy I cannot believe the mental image that this person just painted on the inside of my brain and I stood there and allowed them to do that and now when I see them in church the following Sunday guess what Brother Murphy sees. But believe it or not, God's word gives us, invites us to share our problems and our concerns. And part of pastoral shepherding is to endure those moments that make me need to go to the doctor myself when I'm done. But the old line, there's an old line that goes this way. When you share a joy, it's doubled. When you share a problem, it's cut in half. The Bible said in Galatians 6, 2, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm sure we can all remember times of personal crisis where a church friend simply stopped by and was present. Moments like those are huge and we can't put a price tag on them. Uh, during the course of this year that we've tried so uh, with such challenge to navigate, You'd wake up mornings, especially Monday morning, and feel like Sunday prior was a complete fail. But somebody send a text and say, man, that sermon, that message, the church service, whatever they say, was amazing. And it just kind of helped you turn the corner on Monday morning. This kind of fellowship has to happen mostly away from here in our homes. One of the key Bible verses on this is found in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together. Does that just mean church? One translation said, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. The author writes, instead, let us encourage one another. People lose their jobs and the church family is here. Moms miscarry and the church comes over. Teenagers are sometimes arrested. It's happened here and friends come by and say, hang in there. I understand. Someone goes through a divorce and the church is there to say, we will love you. We're not going to judge you. And we pray that better days are ahead. It's the beauty of fellowship in the church. And then finally tonight and I, Hasten to conclude. The third level 
about being a part of God's family is partnership. And I'm going to go from teaching to a little bit of meddling right now, but it's partnership. Partnership is doing my part. It's not their nurship. It's not his nurship or her nurship. I just made that up. That wasn't in my notes. That's impressive right there. It's partnership. It's you and I doing our part. I've literally talked to married people that they blame all the marital conflict on the spouse. It's all her fault. It's all his fault. Like they've done nothing. They're perfect. It's amazing they don't have a thousand spouses because they're so perfect. If they ever went to one of these match.com sites, whatever they are, they'd go viral because they were so perfect. Just as marriage takes everybody's part, so does church. Someone said that church isn't just a spiritual spa where we come and soak. It's a place of cooperative work. In the Frank Gilbreth family with 12 kids, the dad was a motion study expert. Yes, he was. And he began with his family. It is said that it was a well-oiled machine where even the smallest kids would dust the lowest parts of the furniture. Now, we don't want to burn people out the only person essentially being paid to give their entire life to this church is me. But it is absolutely biblical that every member of this family have a role to play. All of you, everyone here. Your presence here tonight is so meaningful. Your support is so meaningful. And then when you become involved, it even escalates and, 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 and goes higher and higher. Again, everybody has to work shoulder to shoulder, and this is love in action. One man suggests that you share your part. You do your part. I'm trying to hurry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, we are partners working together for God. Some of you are or have been in different partnerships particularly business. I've heard firsthand stories from some of in, in Grace Church about it being tough when some partners do their share and others do not. I talked to someone not too long ago who was in a partnership and the person I talked to felt like he was doing all the work and the other person was doing none of the work but taking most of the money. Needless to say, that partnership dissolved pretty quickly. The good news even here is that God has put the necessary people in this place. Yes, he has. God has blessed Grace Church with the talent we need right here to be a complete and healthy, thriving church body. And I thank God for the people who make up Grace Church tonight. Yes, I do. I believe that practically... And I believe that spiritually. There's a divine element of guidance to who's here. So many of you have skills that I lack. You have abilities and backgrounds that this body needs. 
Ephesians 4.16 tells us that the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We oftentimes, particularly on Sunday morning, will applaud different uh, serve teams in this church and, and brag on them. That's not just lip service. What goes on in that booth behind you tonight, we could hardly function here without those incredibly dedicated, loyal, and passionate people. And I love them very, very much and appreciate what they do. The classes that are going on around the campus tonight could not be done without loyal, dedicated, talented people. They're teaching your children and your grandchildren right now. And I thank God for them. And the list goes on and on and on. You'll notice watching a successful sports team play, there, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of ability there. But there's also a lot of emotion there. On a good team, it's all of them thinking as one. If a player's taken out, instead of getting snarky, he roots for his replacement. If a hitter is moved up or down in the order, he praises his manager for his wisdom. When someone hits a home run, the rest of the team, fiercely competitive, they run out to the home plate to meet and greet him and high-five and all that. Why? Because in the final analysis, it takes all of them to win the game. And that's the way it needs to be here. So let me encourage you with something. Nothing is sweeter than when, in a church, every single person is doing a job that they love. Mother Teresa, I'm going to have to conclude here. I'm not going to have time. Mother Teresa was once invited or asked how she faced up to all the despair and destitution and death that she had to deal with in her ministry. There weren't a lot of Cadillacs or caviar where she worked in Calcutta. But she had a simple answer. She said, every person I bathe, every person I bandage, I imagine seeing the face of Jesus, and I do it for him. And then finally tonight, and I'm concluding, kinship. Loving believers like family. The final level of fellowship is kinship. Loving believers like family. We can all recall chores or duties we did for a family member simply because it was the right thing. We didn't feel like it. We knew it wouldn't be fun. But sometimes we do the loving thing despite our selfish feelings. Sister Murphy got the most incredible card in the mail several days ago. It was a thank you card from a family member that was displaced from Lake Charles to here because of the hurricane, and she came here with COVID. She had been diagnosed with COVID. Sister Murphy stepped up to the plate and made sure that if she did not herself deliver food, made sure that food was delivered to her, took her to every doctor's appointment, and walked her through her recovery of COVID. This person sent her an amazing thank you note, beautiful gift card. And Sister Murphy and I both agreed she had to do neither. It wasn't necessary. 
you is family. And that's what you do for family. I've seen people at Grace Church step up to the plate and do things for one another that astounds me. The heart, the passion, the care, the drive. C.S. Lewis once had someone complain to him. Said, I don't feel any love for so-and-so. To that he replied, if you did love them, what would you do? Whatever it is, go do that anyway. What is kinship? When someone dies, we notify the next of kin. So it's a close inner circle. It's the people you do the hard things for. It's waiting for hours in the lobby of the hospital. I remember when Sister Murph was hospitalized in Alexandria a couple of years, several years ago. <laughs> Y'all about feel like a genius. I walked outside, passed out in my car, was nauseated outside my car, saw a guy passing by and said, go get me help immediately. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying in my car. I ended up in the emergency room. So finally, when I didn't show up back to her room, she asked one of the medical people, where's my husband? Oh, he's in room whatever in the emergency room. And I wasn't visiting anybody. I had an IV hooked up and all that kind of stuff. But I was amazed when Brian Tear walked into the room, drove all the way that distance just to see how Brother and Sister Murph were doing. It's those kind of moments that you can't really share with people unless you're in the church. When people are dying on their deathbed, they never say, bring me my smartphone. I just want to cradle it next to me. They don't say, bring me my golf trophies or my gold watch they gave me when I retired. They don't ask for those things. Who do they ask for? They ask for their family. It's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a pleasure to belong to God's family. I've heard many, 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 many people say, I am far closer to my church family than I am my natural. If you'll stand with me tonight, I have to be careful because we're on LS live stream. There's a lot of people here tonight that don't mind shaking hands and if you want a fist bump, just do that and you don't want anybody close to you, just hold your hands up like that. But I want us to conclude this way tonight, and I'm going to ask everybody to do this. There's a wonderful group of people here tonight. I'm just going to ask you to walk around the building before you leave. Don't get tied up with one person. Try to walk around everybody you can. If you feel comfortable to shake their hand, do that. If you don't, just say hey from a distance and wave and scurry on out the door. That's okay. It's okay to do that if you're not comfortable. But if you've had COVID and you feel like you're good or whatever, why don't you walk up to somebody and just reassure them tonight. I love you. I love you. And if it's somebody you're comfortable with or whatever, this may be a little awkward because when you don't say it, we'll, everybody will get the point. But if you're comfortable with it, maybe you can walk up and say, hey, I'd like to have you over pretty soon or let's go out and have lunch pretty soon. 
let's bring back a, an environment back to Grace Church between one another that maybe we've lost a little bit of what you say. Let's appreciate the privilege of being a part of God's family. Would you do that? God bless you in Jesus' name. I love you folks. Love Grace Church. God bless you. You're dismissed. Greet one another. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you tonight.